I truly believe people plus passion equals profit. So where we're looking at, you know, where I'm passionate about my business and I'm sure most uh, employers are or business owners are. So looking after your people and doing that with integrity and, you know, aligned to your values um, and investing in your people, you're going to get better results. The people are going to perform better. You're going to have more profitability. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week we have a beautiful soul on the show, the gorgeous Michelle Faulkner. She is the Managing Director and Owner of East Coast Human Resource Group. Why I am so excited to share her and all the work that she does is everything she talks about from a business perspective and HR perspective is so relative and comparable to life and relationships. She is the partner in East Coast Human Resource Group, and she is a senior human resource management practitioner, and she has over 23 years experience. In addition to her business and human resource management experience, she's a published author, which we talk about today, and a practicing safety advisor. Amongst Michelle's other achievements is winning Businesswoman of the Year Award in 2008 and Think Business Magazine Business Person of the Year in 2016. Today, Michelle is a life member of the Sunshine Coast Businesswoman's Network in recognition of her outstanding voluntary contribution. This beautiful soul has an incredible work ethos. She has incredible desire to have quality outcomes, authentic conversations and dedication to clients and candidates. And she's very much about giving back commitment to the business community and a desire to make a difference one workplace at a time. I cannot wait for you to hear these gems and all the things she speaks about so powerfully. She is a phenomenal soul, and I am delighted to bring to you the beautiful Michelle Faulkner. If you have any comments and feedback or you want to give us a five-star rating, I just want to thank you for doing that because the more five-star ratings we get, the more beautiful people get to hear conversations like today. Also, if you'd like to follow me on Kim Morrison 28 at Instagram, I can see your comments and feedback about the show, but also can pass them on to our gorgeous guest. You can also reach me on Facebook, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Thank you for being on the ride. It is a delight to bring these conversations to you each and every week. And I'm delighted once again to bring to you another beautiful soul. Take care, be kind, and enjoy today's show. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. I am delighted and very excited to have this exquisite soul on the show this week. The amazing Michelle Faulkner is someone you are going to absolutely love hearing from. I've known her for some time. She is an absolute powerhouse, someone I look up to and revere and absolutely admire with the way she does life and business. Welcome to the show, beautiful Michelle. Thank you for having me, Kim. It's very exciting to be meeting with you this morning. I know we've had a we've been trying to make this happen for a little bit, but it's just a delight to have you. And I just want to thank you for your time. I know you're a busy woman, but before we get into all of the things that you do so magically, perhaps you could just give us a brief outline as to where you're from, what you're about, who is Michelle, and what led you into doing the work that you're doing today. Okay, well, that's a big story in itself, I guess. Um, my mum moved us to the coast from Sydney when we were babies, so um, I call myself a local because I think I certainly can being here so long. Um, we um, I come from a, hard, a long line of hard workers. So mum was a really hard worker. She was a single mum with three children until my um, other brother came along a few years later. So mum always worked several jobs. It was a tough um, time for us um, in getting settled, but you know, we were a very cohesive family unit. It was always lots of laughter and fun. Um, I started work very early. Um, I worked two jobs when I was younger. And I guess um, how I fell into the work that I do, it was just a bit of a natural thing, actually. I, I think I always um, loved people and um 
you know, used to get in trouble at school all the time for talking so much and now, ha, 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 um, I get paid for it. So it's um, it was an interesting um, pathway that um, led me here. Yeah, as a young girl, um, you know, my mum and my sister used to try and um, bribe me to be quiet and I used to cry because I'd have so much that I needed to say. So I was very, um, very rarely was I quiet as a young person. Um, and, yeah, I just fell into um, a love of HR, starting a, a career in recruitment. And, um, yeah, sorry, Kim, I'm very nervous. Ah, uh, You're just doing so amazing. I'm oh. just loving this. For someone, it's funny, isn't it? When you actually have to start talking about yourself, there's yes. something about it that kind of you're like, wow, is this interesting or not interesting? But I'm telling you, it is. Oh. So there's something you just said that was really interesting to me. And I, I'd actually love to pick up on this. So many people are like you and I, where we do love talking, we love people. And yet for some reason in that schooling system, it's almost looked down upon and we're made to feel wrong about it. And often in this day and age, some people also, and I'm not saying it's wrong or right, but get diagnosed as ADD or ADHD. There's a lot of conflict around people that speak out. Do mm. you think looking back on it now, that comment you made, I was always mm. told to be quiet. Now I get told to speak. I mean, I get yes. paid to speak. Do yeah. you think there's something incredible about that? And if so, what would you say to other parents out there who have talkative children? Well, I think it's just making space and time for the listening. I think sometimes we're so busy and hectic. And, you know, one of the things that I have schooled myself on over the years is um, the art of being present. And it's really difficult when we have so many other competing things going on in our mind. But to just stop and actually enjoy those moments, because we all know that life is very short and we all know that time flies. I mean, my big boy is turning 29 in July and I look back and think, wow, we're where has all that time gone, you know? Um, and so I worked a lot when the children were young. I've always worked full time. And, you know, the moments that I had with them and the time that we actually got together, it's important to be really present. So I know it's hard sometimes when you've got a lot, lot going on and, and there's a lot of, um, you know, pressure to be everything to everybody, but just try in the moments that you can to be really present and to, to be open to the listening and um, having two boys. I think when you get an opportunity for them to be talking, you really need to be listening because, you know, that doesn't come easy through the years of probably from about 12 on to, on to um, you know, nearly 18, where they sort of send, tend to shut down a little bit in the communication department. So, yeah, I guess I just I just love hearing people's stories. I get a lot of satisfaction of my genuine love of people. So for me, it's easy to have conversations. I love to talk to people and hear all about what they are, you know, inspired by and what they're doing in their businesses and their lives and um, even just, you know, their their plans for the future. I love hearing all of those things. Oh, me too. And I actually really, I think this is where we both connect so beautifully, is really listening to people's stories. And so, look, I'm going to ask you the question then, what inspires you? What gets you up every day? I think it's, um, you know, for me, I am absolutely doing what I love and I love what I do. And I get so much immense satisfaction from my work. I work very closely with my clients. And, you know, when I actually see the results, you know, of, um, you know, what they're achieving as a result of the work that we're doing, that really um you know, inspires me to keep going every day. I, I genuinely just love what I'm doing. Um and I just, yeah, I, I, I guess my family inspires me, my desire to build a great life for them. And, um, you know, we had a wonderful childhood. Um, don't get me wrong, Kim, but, you know, we did miss out on on lots of things and, and not through any fault of mum's. She did her absolute utmost best. But, you know, there were tough times where things were really financially tight. You know, we were living in, um, you know, what was then Housing Commission and, you know, just wanting, I suppose, you know, stability and security for my family. So wanting to build and grow a business that was going to bring us some financial freedom inspires me. 
And and I think just genuinely the different people that I get to meet. I've been working now in this sector for 18 years. So I've worked with over 1,500 businesses. Um, And if I think about that and I think about all those people, so 1,500 businesses with potentially between, you know, five to 35 people in each business, how many people I've spoken to and, and connected with and hopefully inspired or empowered to have better working relationships at their workplace over 18 years is extraordinary. So that inspires me. Um, you know, we've got a little ethos here at East Coast of making a difference one workplace at a time. And, you know, to do that, um, you know, is is just such a privilege for me. Um, I'm entrusted by my clients with some, you know, really tough stuff. You know, when you've got people problems in your business, it's it's very personal. Um, it's not something that you want, uh, you know, shouted from the rooftops. I, I never take that uh, for granted that I am entrusted with such important um, parts of, of their business and, and it's emotionally taxing as well. So that all inspires me because if I can take away some of that people pain, then that I'm doing my job. Oh, and you do it so well. I just <laughs> want, to, want to ask you this then, like so many people talk about HR and the importance of it, but if you were really to describe what actually is human resources and what is it actually for? Well, human resources for me, I, I see it as the, you know, you, we have assets in our business. So we have buildings and we have, you know, IP and we have all of those things. Well, our people are our biggest asset that we have in our business. So HR is simply a process where, you know, it's a service and a privilege to support the people. Um, I know some people don't have that same viewpoint as me. And, you know, I think some of the terms I've heard is, you know, HR is, you know, human remains and and the like. And, and I think HR in general, the, the phrasing HR gets a bad rap because, you know, yes, they are also responsible for the firing and also some tough stuff and, and you know, compliance and all of those things that people don't really enjoy. But HR is the essence of managing the people. So, you know, what I do for my clients is look after the people problems. And sometimes they're good problems to have. So, we've got really highly motivated team that uh, just need some guidance and support to ensure that they continue to stay, you know, supported and, and inspired. Um, and sometimes it's the tougher stuff where we've got disputes and mediations and, um, you know, conflict in the workplace. We've got behaviours in the workplace that aren't, you know, healthy or safe. And so it can be a combination of all those things. But hopefully, Kim, that gives you my viewpoint of what HR is. I think sometimes too for business owners and management, they're too in it to actually understand sometimes the problems or as you say, sometimes even the good problems. Mm. I mean, you said that people are our greatest, one of our greatest assets, but also I've heard that they can also be our greatest problem, which is where I see the space that you're in. And with Mm. respect to everybody, would you, I've heard many people say this, there's some people that have an entrepreneurial mindset, so the leader the thought provokers, the the change agents, the trailblazers. But then there's a lot of people out there who have what I've been told is an employee mentality where they just want to go to work. They want to do the job the best that they can, but they want to go home and leave it all behind. Is that something that you've noticed for you? There is that real distinction between those two mindsets or is there any others? Uh, look, I think I, absolutely I see that. And, you know, I think, Kim, one of the things when we say people problems, the other challenge that we have as, as business owners and employers is we take things very personally as well. That's one of the first things I teach clients is, you know, you need to, it doesn't matter how, um, you know, fabulous you are as an employer, what employee value proposition you have in place, how supportive you are of your team, how well you pay your team, uh, you know, what you provide them, the flexibility. At the end of the day, they're always going to put themselves and their families first, as they should. And we can't take it personally. And I think sometimes where, you know, we let our egos get in the way, then the people problems get bigger because it makes it difficult for us to solve. But when we talk about those with entrepreneurial spirit and, and, you know, that they 
are trailblazers. That's absolutely true. There are a lot of fantastic team members in, in our businesses that are that way inclined. And those that have the employee mentality, we need those as well. We need every style of person in our business. Um, we need to have those that are, you know, not wanting to jump the career ladder and, and the rungs of the ladder. They are very happy and um, satisfied in the roles that they're doing just day to day. And, you know, we can't, can't keep glorifying uh, this, you know, working all hours of the day and and expecting our team members to work excessive hours and, oh, my gosh, they all leave on time. Well, I think that's powerful. If you can still have a successful business that's profitable where your staff are happy and everyone gets to leave on time, isn't that the ultimate? Oh, you couldn't say that better. And <laughs> you just actually reminded me, there is a real thing around this martyrdom or this desire to have to work harder and longer. But in fact, what I'm hearing you say is it's more about working smarter. How can we do what we need to do in mm. order to make this happen so that everybody's happy? Do you have any stories of perhaps, of course, we don't have to say anything personal, but do you yeah. have any standout moments for you where perhaps a team or a business was in disarray, you guys came in and just explain to us the process and maybe the outcome of that? Okay, well, that's a pretty common thing that we do, Kim, to be honest. So, uh, one that comes to mind is a client that um, engaged us when they came into the role as a new CEO. So, there was a lot of work that they wanted to do in terms of change making. You know, we had workplace cultural issues. Uh, we had, you know, HR systems and policy and structure that was archaic. So, it wasn't effective. It wasn't working. Um, we had, um, you know, a, a big area of risk in that being that the organisation was working in a really complex industry sector. So, there was a lot of risk to us not managing that properly um, for the staff that were working out in the community. So, um, we started basically from scratch and we built the foundations of the system and then we put in place, um, you know, just a, a few workplace values that we, um, I suppose, managed performance aligned with and we held people accountable to that. And that was really tough to start with and it took um, staff a little while to get their head around that. But once they saw that everyone was being managed with the same consistency, they actually responded quite well because, you know, most staff or most workers that come to work, they don't want to work with people who aren't doing the right thing. They don't want to work with bullies. They certainly don't want to work with people that are not following, you know, the, the proper processes and putting them at risk as well with their safety. So, you know, it took a little while and, and we were involved in that business quite heavily for nearly 12 months. And I was super proud of the results that we achieved, um, you know, during that time. And they increased um, their culture, their retention rates were improved, they got some structure and policy staff were getting great training, which they were really responding well to. And so it was a, it was a big body of work and a, and a big project that we undertook, but we were super happy with the results. And, and that took, you know, a good 12 months for that to change to occur, but it was a bigger organisation as well. And, you know, I guess to start with, one of the things that I did was I talked to the people. I talked to the staff and genuinely listened without judgment to some of the things that they felt they were missing, um, a lot of the things that they were dissatisfied with and, and really had a lot of misalignment with the management on. And, you know, we just slowly worked away at that um, and tried to get some really instant wins for them. So, looked at, you know, how their wages were structured, made sure all that was okay, which were some early wins, which gave people a bit of confidence that, hey, hang on, they're, they're actually investing in this and, and this is going to change and I might stick around to see what it's all about. So, that's why I think we had some good retention in the end. It really is about communication then, isn't it? And understanding different people's needs. And like you said a while ago, without ego, I'm, mm. I'm curious then, when you have a corporation or a business or even a business owner or even an employee listening to this, there is something also that you cover briefly. And I mm. think it's very valuable. And that's workplace values. Now, does that come from the management and owners down? They create their values and what it means to them to have this business. And then you look for the employees that align with those values. Or are you talking about listening to the employees and getting the values? How do you get a common goal or a common vision or a common group of values? 
I think it definitely comes from the top down, but the, the values from the top down, they have to actually embody them as well. So you've got to walk the talk. You know, you mentioned communication and communication is critical. But for me, I, I heard something recently and it really resonated with, with me. It's it's more the comprehension that's critical. So we can communicate and communicate all we like, but if people aren't comprehending what it is we're actually trying, the message we're trying to send, then that in itself is, is um, you know, a waste of breath really. So I think when the management or employers or business owner or entrepreneur are writing those values, it has to be something that they already embody or that they're prepared to walk the talk with because there's no point in having a set of values that sit on a wall and everyone jokes about it behind the manager's back because they don't embody them either. I think it's really important. You know, I use the word a lot, Kim, and I know you do as well, authenticity. And, you know, that should never be um, anything that's, you know, fake, that you have to be embodying those values. And then that's embedded in the culture. It's embedded in the behaviours you tolerate. um, And it's embedded in, you know, how you treat and respect the staff that work with you as well. Yeah, it's really important, isn't it? I love it. You wrote a book, The People Investment. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because in my humble opinion, this is something for all business owners to read, but also perhaps even more importantly as well for the employees or the people that work in the company so that they can understand from a bigger perspective. Because let's face it, Michelle, a lot of people that work for big companies or any company, they have no idea that that business owner is up at two o'clock in the morning trying to work out how to pay bills or maybe they're carrying stresses or maybe they're worried about supply or maybe there's, um, I don't know, system issues, whatever. Your book, The People Investment, is something that could be read on both sides. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And let's give it a plug. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kim. Well, I published uh, published The People Investment in 2012 and it really is a resource guidebook for employers. But yeah, as you say, it is for employees as well because I do talk about, you know, workplace behaviours and, you know, how you contribute to the employer. Um, you know, I truly believe people plus passion equals profit. So where we're looking at, you know, where I'm passionate about my business and I'm sure most uh, employers are or business owners are. So looking after your people and doing that with integrity and, you know, aligned to your values um, and investing in your people, you're going to get better results. The people are going to perform better. You're going to have more profitability. And at the end of the day, that's what we're all about. Um, So I wrote the book as a guidebook for, you know, businesses to, as a resource tool. So you can flick back through it. It talks about compliance, some of the compliance stuff um, we're just looking at at the moment because I'm going to do a second edition because obviously legislation has changed a lot since 2012. But I wrote it with an open heart. I talk very much about one of the chapters is um, knife block syndrome, which is what I call, you know, a bullying and toxic workplace where you don't realise how bad it is until the knives are embedded in your back. Um, And that was a really important uh, learning for me when that happened to me in my workplace. So I've tried to give it you know, a lot of information. There's um, tips and tricks and and um, to-dos for each chapter. And it does go through the myriad of, you know, how to have a tough conversation and how you need to ensure that, you know, you're doing that respectfully and fairly and, and complying with legislation because I guess that's the other side of of having a business. And, and you mentioned the employer being up, you know, the owner, business owner being awake at 2 a.m., you know, that happens more often than we realise. And of course, our our team members are not going to necessarily understand or appreciate that, um, you know, because they haven't been responsible for, you know, I call it the livelihood of other people. Every night when I go to bed, I'm conscious that I'm responsible for, you know, sometimes depending upon how many staff we have working in labour hire, you know, sometimes, you know, up to 50, 55 people's livelihoods and their incomes are resting on, you know, my shoulders. So that is a big responsibility for any business owner to carry. So, you know, I I absolutely wanted to provide something that can assist them to navigate some of that stuff. Um, And not all businesses can afford to engage, you know, a HR specialist um, to support them. So it really was a resource guidebook. And and I'm, I'm, I'm aware that many people, many of my clients are still using it to this day and have little post-it notes stuck out of bits and pieces um, throughout the book. 
Well, it's certainly something that's revered and and definitely has had a lot of comments and and wonderful feedback. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. I I'm, I'm interested in this point of the conversation that, you know, a lot of people are fantastic in team situations when the things are going well, when everybody's doing well, when everybody's having a good time. I'm conscious that when the business is is um, you know profitable and mm. I don't know there's team functions and maybe Christmas parties. But what about the times when it's not so good? What about the times when we're going through a real struggle? A lot of businesses over the last three, four years Mm. have got to the point either of shutting down or not even being able to operate or worse than that, they've had to let people go. What is the real important thing here when it comes to helping or supporting or inspiring a team of people to get through those tough times? I think, and, and I saw it a lot during COVID, Kim, with some of my clients, you know, I yeah, I saw that a lot, Kim, when especially during COVID and post-COVID where things are tough. And I always say, well, it's a measure that I have myself is, you know, how people behave and respond in times of challenge when things aren't going well. That's a true testament of people's, um, you know, their ethos of who they really are. And I always say the same for employees who, you know, resign their position, how they choose to behave after that resignation and they're choosing to exit their behaviour during that time is a testament to their, who they are as an, their integrity, I suppose, during that. Um, I think during tough times, one of the things that I encourage clients to do is to be honest to act with integrity. So where you can and where it's reasonable to have those conversations with staff. And I know that's very difficult because when business is tough, there's a risk that staff will then exit and you don't want them to exit too early. Um, But I think where you possibly can, I think you'll gain more respect and have conversations around, you know, things are tough and support them in that um, and, you know, provide opportunities for them um, where possible, because that's not always possible either. But I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is just being as transparent as you possibly can with within reason. And you know, sometimes it comes out of the blue and and I've had to handhold many clients through tough times where they've had to make, you know, significant redundancies. And, you know, we did that with respect and with absolute um understanding of the impact of that for people and provided them with whatever supports were possible. So whether there was um, opportunity for them to, you know, engage or or register with a recruitment agency like the likes of us, et cetera, and gain support in, you know, trying to find alternate positions. I think that's, that's, you know, the best advice I can give for the tough times. Yeah, it's really important. I think, like I myself have been through this and I've spoken to other business owners, when you do have to make tough decisions or tough calls, there's a part of me that feels like if it's almost like it doesn't matter how you do it, the person on the receiving end is going to have their reaction to it no matter what. And so I guess where what I've learned is to create or talk about the exit strategies before you even start. <laughs> In other words, you know, like performance reviews mm. and having conversations around where each side is at and being okay with the, I guess, the critiques or the critical conversations, but also being mindful of the positives. Is there sometimes entrepreneurs have an incredible vision they know what they want to do, but they may not necessarily be the best business strategists mm. or the best operators. And therefore, there seems to be a little bit of a bridge um, needed to meet with the people's needs as well as their vision. Is that something that you've come across? Absolutely. And and as well as the entrepreneurs, you've got the, the fantastic tradies and the most amazing craftspeople and, and really hardworking people that have built these wonderful, massive businesses off their talent, but yet they're an excellent tradie, but they're not a great people manager. So I think for those um, those that are in that circumstance, I would encourage that they engage somebody who is a specialist in that area to manage and navigate those people elements of the business for them. Um, and having tough conversations and being proactive versus reactive, you mentioned, you know, um, people's reactions. We can't control um, how other 
how other people are going to respond to to situations, but we can ensure that we act with integrity, that we have a planned conversation, that, you know, we are proactive versus reactive. So when we're having issues with people that we have, give them the courtesy of a right of response, sit down and have the conversation. How they choose to respond to that, you can't control, but at least you've given them the option to have a right of response and to have an open conversation where you can share, look, this just is not working for me at the moment. I'm not happy with, you know, X, Y, Z um, and how you chose to, you know, manage that client or can we talk about what that what that situation was and, and why did you choose to respond that way? I'd like to get more understanding about why that was the decision that you felt was necessary in that moment. So it's just having those open conversations where you can. And if you're not a specialist, and I've always believed this myself, when I started my consulting business from home, I'm not an IT specialist and my IT specialist will tell you that because I'm absolutely hopeless. So I ensured that I linked up with an IT specialist organization that monitored my computer, that made sure everything was right, that came in once a month and you know, I just made sure I surrounded myself with professionals. I think it's exciting when you don't have all the skills in your toolkit and you can then engage people that are specialists in that area and build a fantastic team of combined strengths is really powerful. Yeah, it's so important. And I, I will add, it sounds amazing to just have these wonderful conversations and write a response. But you and I both know when emotions are high, intelligence is low, and we may not always. <laughs> but I love Absolutely. what you said about the right of response. Perhaps one of the best things we can do in any situation is allow that response to be without reacting, as you said. Um, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Is, is that something you teach people to do? Well, it is something that I guide my clients with, absolutely. And, you know, you don't have to like the response either. That's what I, you know, it's okay for everybody to have a different viewpoint. That's what makes the world such a really cool place. You don't have to agree. It's okay if you have a completely different view, but you need to respect that person made that, you know, you need to hear what they're, what they're saying and respect that that's exactly how they felt in that moment. Whether you agree or disagree, you've got to honour that. Um, I always try and support clients with respect that, you know, varied opinions, like actually different opinions is absolutely fine. But what we then need to do is respect and value each other's opinions and then land on what is the reasonable actions moving forward that will satisfy what the business needs and what the person needs in the team. So it's it's having that conversation. And that's not always easy. It's, it is a learned skill. And I do try and encourage when I'm talking to managers around, you know, building their skills in their toolkit around HR and managing people, people problems, is that they need to plan those conversations, you need to actually take time and care to think about, okay, I'm going into a really tough performance conversation with Kim today. I need to really be clear so that I can get Kim's right of response on the th key things that I would like to see done differently and, um, you know, what are, what are my outcomes that I'd like to see? Well, I'd really love it that, you know, I'd really like that Kim can hear and understand what I've got to say today. And I'd like to see that we implement these changes, which will make a big improvement in this area of the work that's not being performed to the level that we'd like. I might check in with Kim and see if she needs some extra training. So I'll write that down as a note. So it's just that planned response. You know, we don't give enough time to you know, the importance of that planning. I say to clients, you know, use the 24-hour rule, you know, don't don't send an email in haste, don't make a, a, a rash decision to have a tough conversation without thinking it through because it will no, no doubt end in disaster or mm. it will increase the conflict um, because you haven't thought out, you're either heightened in the moment and as you say, high emotions equals low intelligence. I absolutely love that. Um, you know, you really need to take time and care and respect that that's a tough conversation for, you know, you know, Kim and that employee example to hear. So you need to respect that as well. Thank you so much for clarifying because it's not easy. And I know that for myself, um, I've been guilty of saying things out of haste or nervousness or um, worry or fear. And one of my biggest 
problems, I guess, or one of my constraints is the desire or need to be liked by people. And so I don't like making people unhappy or sad or doing that. And one of the things that I've also struggled with, and I'm not sure if other people will relate to this, but I am really passionate about a certain product or a certain program Mm -hmm. and I don't want it to go. But when the accounts people give me the figures and say, it's not viable, it's costing us and I have to let it go. And it's really tough. But As you say, sometimes we're so in it, we can't actually see that. I loved what you said before is to have those skilled people around you and realizing that I don't think every single person in this world will have every single skill. And that's what makes the tapestry of life so interesting. In your personal experience, then, uh, I mean, to me, it's almost like we need an HR manager in the home. We need HR managers in our relationships. We need, it's not (laughs) just the workplace. It's (laughs) you're saying. I could transfer into families and relationship situations. So this is really learning about life, learning about yourself, mastering your emotions, understanding who you are, your values, what it is you want to get out of life. Mm. This is actually a life skill. And is, yeah. is that something, in your humble opinion, that we could all do with? Oh, absolutely, Kim. I really loved what you said before about, you know, wanting to be liked. Um, everybody wants to be liked, I think, intrinsically. But, you know, I often joke with everybody, I'm a recovering people pleaser because it's something that I've also been working on personally is about, you know, setting boundaries and it's okay to say no to everything. You don't have to say yes to everything. I, I give a lot of my time, which I never regret, but, you know, sometimes I can't be everywhere and do things for other people. You've got to prioritise your own needs and your own business as well. Um, and I think mastering the art of emotional intelligence and investing in that as a business owner, manager, human being is it's absolutely benefits twofold. It is about home. I mentioned earlier about, you know, having to learn to be present. That is a skill that you need to practice. And and uh, the same with emotional intelligence, understanding, you know, yourself, sense of self, um, you know, building on your skills around, you know, empathy and, you know, valuing other people's opinions and being really balanced helps in the home as equally as it does in in your workplace as well, for sure. Oh, it's powerful stuff. Well, on that note, I mean, this being the self-love podcast, we've been talking a lot about HR and managing other people or recruitment or quality assurance, all of those things that you do. But ultimately, for us to be happy in life, no matter what, it comes down to a full element of really, truly appreciating ourselves and, for want of a better word, loving ourselves. If that is the case in anything, life and business, what would you say is your definition of self-love? I think for me, I you know, I think... I've had to work on this as well. I think anyone who says they've never had imposter syndrome is probably um, telling a little white lie. Um, I've had to build my confidence and sense of self and self-love. I'm at a point in my life now where I absolutely do love myself. I love my life. Um, I appreciate all of my little um, bits that, you know, make me who I am. Um, Some of them not always great. So they're the bits that I tend to work on. I think self-love is looking in the mirror every day with pride. I think self-love, regardless of what you see in the mirror, um, I should have said, is um, part of self-love. I think it's being able to really know yourself and know your own boundaries, know your triggers um, and owning that. I, I talk to my staff, I talk to clients, I talk to clients' employees about accountability. To me, that's a a huge element of what makes a successful workplace relationship is we're not always perfect and we just need to understand that we will make mistakes and that's absolutely fine. We learn from them and we take accountability and we own it. I'm a huge believer in ownership of your behaviour, your attitude. You know, we, we get to choose how we wake up every day. So for me, I wake up with a smile on my face every day and um, ready to face the day with an attitude of gratitude and my glass half full approach, which sometimes, you know, people call me a bit of a Pollyanna, but I, that's how I choose to love and look at the world. And so that's my, I don't know if that's a real definition, Kim, but that's my definition. 
I love it. I love it. And I also really appreciate that it is a constant, we are a constant work in progress with ourselves. We absolutely can never get it right 100% of the time. I want to just go then to family, your family, your relationship, your life. How often do you ever get called on your on your stuff um, by your own family? I mean, we preach and talk to our companies, yes. our clients and things like this. Do you ever have it back? fire on you um I just want to share something with you very quickly I remember yeah. one day absolutely lost it with Jacob my son he was being such a brat and honestly he was just being him but I was obviously triggered by it and I turned around and I looked at him and I said something and he goes oh if they could all see you now <laughs> and I thought yeah, yeah, that was a really good call because, you know, I preach love and care and kindness and happiness. And there I was being a complete prat myself. So I'm just curious to know if it happens to you, Michelle. Oh, absolutely, Kim. I, you know, as we say, we're a constant evolving learning. You know, I had my beautiful um, eldest son, you know, two days after turning 22 and I had no idea how to become a parent. So, you know, I've had my L plates on for 29 years in essence. So I've made plenty of mistakes and I certainly get called out more so now um, by my teenage daughter when uh, she and I tend to be the one that clash the most. So she will often uh, be the one that triggers me and, um, you know, we, we will often laugh about it because neither of us stay mad for very long. But it's still one of those things that I have to learn and grow from as well and I have to really listen to, you know, what's happening for her. It's a really tough environment for teenagers um, at the moment out there in the, in the big bad world and it's so different from when we we were at school and they have so many other pressures and I just really want to make sure that she knows that it's a safe haven when she comes to me. So I need to keep my behaviour in check when she frustrates me because she's just absolutely adorable and I, I love it a bit. Um, but as any teenage girl that's, um, you know, going through the, the phases, there are moments and, um, yeah, I, I don't generally tend to, you know, have those issues with the boys necessarily but yes yeah, certainly um, I get called out by Maddie quite often um, yeah we have a little nickname for her when she starts to be quite a challenge and that's Veruca I don't know if you remember Veruca off Charlie in the Chocolate Factory I want a pony um, so yeah we <laughs> we uh, yeah we have a really I'm very very lucky we have a lovely family and home life and um, you know it's just an absolute joy to now watch my beautiful granddaughter, um, you know, growing up as well. It's We're a very tight, cohesive unit. My husband runs his own business as well. So we have a hectic life, two businesses in the one household. So again, we just hold space for each other and just do the best we can on a day-by-day -day basis. And when we do get downtime, we, we relish it and we cherish it and um, enjoy it um, as a family. So important, the the art of tradition, just the simple things, eating a meal together, phones off, communicating, having those conversations. And as you said before, giving space for responses. I think listening is one of the greatest skills we could all try. I'm curious, you do you do a lot of um, self-personal development work on yourself as well and inspire others to do the same? And if so, is there anything or anyone you'd like to give a plug to? Absolutely, have always invested in my own personal development um, if, from a very young age. So I have done lots of things throughout the years. Um, I do regular leadership um, workshops. I recently attended the Lionhearted Leadership uh, Workshop that Jeanette Allen Hill does. That was fantastic. It reaffirmed, you know, some some things for me around who I am as a leader, particularly for my team. And and uh, you know, you mentioned work and, and family crossing over. I want to be a leader um, in my, you know, for my family as well. I want to inspire them to be, you know, the best version of themselves that they can be every day when they wake up. So I've always invested in in personal development. I think it's critical. I think you know, if you want to evolve as as a really great human being, that's part of it. You need to invest time and energy in, in yourself. I've often done um, personality profiling. So I'm actually a DISC advanced practitioner as well um, because I loved it so much when I did it for myself that I thought, oh, this would be a fantastic 
to bring in and value add for my clients. So I, I did the course and and am now a practitioner in that. So yeah, definitely, Kim, I think personal development and professional development just keeps you innovative. It keeps you current and it helps you evolve as, as a person and, and work on your, your own stuff because we all have our stuff um, and our doubts. And, you know, it just builds confidence as well for those that are feeling a little bit, um, you know, that they need some sort of lift and um, you know often those groups particularly with Lionhearted it's like a community and they are a wonderful supportive bunch of professional people that just lift each other up and I I really enjoy that. Um, The Business Women's Network has also been an integral part of my development. Um, I joined the network when I started consulting from home as I said myself in my in my um, garage at home and it built a community for me um, of people that I could connect with and like-minded people and met you through that lovely network, Kim. So, mm. And it's hard, isn't it, sometimes putting ourselves out there. But I've always sort of said to people when they say, oh, you know, oh, I can't afford, uh, you know, I, I don't have the money, four, five, six thousand $6,000 to do a program perhaps if that's what the cost is. And yet I cannot say enough mm. just how much we get back. You cannot put a price on the value of self-development and extending and evolving oneself. And we're never the same person, as you say. We're Mm. always evolving. And there's Mm. always bits to polish, as we know. Absolutely, Um, yeah. And if you can't afford that, you know, $4,000 or $6,000 program, find something that is, you know, or, or strive to do it or speak to them and say, how can I make this happen? I really feel like this is a, uh, something that I really need. But we can also, we also need to build our own community of supporters and those that will be honest with us as well in terms of giving us honest feedback. And I'm so lucky. I have an incredible group of really close friends, you know, that they're my therapists that I don't have to pay. And, you know, we call on each other quite often if somebody's having a moment then you know the the call goes out you know margarita night's needed and off we go and everyone drops everything in to be there for each other because we know when somebody puts the call out that they're in a space where they need either some 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 tough love or they need a cuddle or they just need a night of laughter and um fun and take them away from whatever's you know, challenging them at that point in time. So, you know, build your support network around you. That's a critical part as well of, of you know, being able to, I don't know, build your own little community and, and to have those, those supports for you inside and outside of work. I love this so much because there was times when I was young and I just could not afford to do a program. It was actually my aromatherapy diploma. I was 18 years of age. I had $180 in my bank account. The first part of the course was $160, which I so distinctly remember signing up for. (laughs) And then I couldn't afford at that time the next Mm. part of the program. And I followed these two women everywhere and I asked to support them. I asked if I could work it off with them. And that's how I got my diploma. Yes, I actually asked them what I could do to make it happen. And that's something I've never realized was a skill. But you just nailed that by asking. And if not, there's so many free, amazing resources, or at least very price accessible resources on the internet. And again, if you've got your community and you can reach out, most -hmm. people will know someone who knows someone who can help. And I think that's something we do very well here on the coast. Would you agree? Absolutely. The Sunshine Coast is an incredibly supportive um, community. I, When I published my book, I went on a book tour and I went to Sydney and, and I had the toughest audience down there. And I came back to the coast and I, I really did reflect then that how wonderful is the Sunshine Coast as a business community. Not only are we willing and giving when um, times are tough, but as you say, somebody will know somebody and there are so many incredible people that are more than happy. I mean, when I published my book, um, um, Kim McCosker, who's an absolute doll and I adore her, she took time out and sat with me at a cafe and talked about a marketing plan. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, Kim McCosker is sitting here giving me her time out of the goodness of her heart to help me succeed um, with my book. And and to this day, you know, there is, I do that for others wherever I can. And most of the um, business community and the contacts and the networks that I have um, do the same. And, you know, if you can't, you know, 
find your own little tribe, then look to those networks, go and join, um, you know, even if you're nervous and you are hesitant or you're shy or you've got anxiety, you know, they have new member hosts that will support you and guide you. And I always look for somebody in the crowd that looks nervous and give them a big smile and go and introduce myself because I remember how daunting it is to go to those sorts of things. And the other thing I was going to say, Kim, I was talking to someone recently about development. And if you can't afford a course, what about, you know, there's some incredible podcasts and, you know, YouTube videos on leadership and and or any other skill that you're wanting to develop. There is some incredible resources that are free, as you say, that, you know, you can access. Books are incredible. I love books. I love reading. And so I have a, a plethora of, you know, business development leadership you know, books that I, you know, look to and and refer to all the time. Well, I just think that this is such a powerful conversation with you. You've mentioned a couple of things. I just want to reach out and, and give them a plug as well. You did mention Jeanette Allen Hill with her Lionhearted series. Had the privilege of interviewing her. If the listener, you'd like to hear her speak episode 229 on the Self Love podcast. And I have also had the privilege of interviewing the gorgeous Min Swan, the president of the Sunshine Coast mm. Business Women's Network. And that's episode 256. So I'll put that in the notes for anyone that wants to go back and listen to those two extraordinary souls but as we come to the close of this I just want to say to you again hand on heart Michelle thank you thank you for the work that you do for the leadership and the inspiration you provide not only for us on the coast but for all the people that you happen to touch which goes way beyond those that we see on a daily basis the ripple effect that you have your ethos your philosophy at East Coast Human Resource Group is is actually you when I see that business I see you when I see you I see that business it's intertwined and and I just want to say to all you entrepreneurs and business owners out there we see you we hear you um, but I cannot recommend the beautiful Michelle Faulkner enough if you really do want to have the ability to step it up or perhaps get rid of some of the problems or maybe stop the problem before it even becomes one this is the person to call on Michelle, as we come to the close, is I'd love to ask for your final message to this beautiful listener, someone who is always seeking to improve and be their best selves, someone who's looking at how to get up, out, over and through those challenges that we all have. And as you complete that, you might want to integrate maybe your favourite quote as well. Okay, thanks, Kim. Um, I think the best message that I can send is to just stop and take a breath. You know, it's okay not to be okay. And, you know, I think we feel like we can't express when things are tough. And I think we should be speaking more about why things are so challenging and, and you know, a problem have, is a problem solved. And so take a breath. Um, every day is a new day. Um, continue to um, love yourself by accepting exactly who you are, knowing you're not perfect, but it's okay. And, you know, just keep getting up every day with, um, you know, a desire to just be better than the day before. And if that's as simple as I couldn't get out of bed yesterday, but today I can, that's enough for the day. So it's just owning that. Um, I think, you know, I'd like to leave you, Kim, with my uh, little quote. Uh, it's one from Audrey Hepburn, um, which is nothing is impossible. The word itself says I'm possible. So thank you so much, Kim. I um, have really enjoyed speaking with you today and I really appreciate it um, on behalf of myself and, and the team at East Coast. I, I really appreciate it. You're amazing. And if anyone wanted to follow you, you beautiful soul, could you just give us your handles or the best website or how someone could contact you if they wanted to reach out? Absolutely. So East Coast, um, you know, eastcoasthr.com.au. Uh, we do have an East Coast LinkedIn page. I have my own personal LinkedIn page, which is michellefaulkner.com.au. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, I would hope that, um, you know, reach out and say day. That would be fantastic. That's amazing. And just so everybody knows, Michelle is spelt with an A, not an E, M-I-C-H-A-L-L-E, just in case you can't <laughs> find her looking at the, the usual way of spelling yes, Michelle. Yes, so we, we can thank my mum for that. So that's a, a mixture of my Uncle Mick and my Uncle Alan. So it's actually pronounced Michelle. And, oh. uh, you know, I do accept all versions of it. I once was called out on parade as Michael. So I thought it was absolutely fair that I didn't go up on parade because um, I really am not a Michael. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I accepted that many years ago that people aren't going to get it always right. And
and that's okay with me. And that's what makes you so beautiful and unique. Your (laughs) mum saw it all those years ago. We still see it today. Thank you again, you beautiful being. I really appreciate you being on the Self Love Podcast. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.